Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Uh, okay, listen now for the click track, everybody. Uh, and away we go. This is uh, track one. Take one, yeah. One, two, three, four. Hello and welcome back to the latest edition of Before the Encore with me, Sonic Architect Adam Shanahan. Um, Before the Encore aims to take a deeper dive into the music industry and music industry professionals' lives and stories and just to shed a bit more light on what is traditionally a more, uh, I was going to say shadowy, but I don't think that's necessarily the right word, but um, a less spoken about, uh, the less spoken about parts of the industry is, you know, what I'm trying to create a bit of a highlight for here and, you know, um, just share people's stories with the rest of the listenership and get them out there because, um, you know, I love hearing about all different aspects of the music industry and I have no doubt that the listeners of this show do as well. Um, I think it's nice to know a little bit about something that you may not have had any, like, a deeper level of information about and that's what before the encore is all about so um delighted to be back and thanks for sticking with me so far i have to say thanks again to dave and craig for um making this possible the no encore podcast um if you're new to the no encore podcast feed no encore is our weekly show where dave hanready and craig fitzpatrick two uh great pals and great music journalists do uh, a weekly news roundup of everything that's happening in the world of music they do an album review should one be pertinent in that week and they also do a top five shootout um always themed always great fun um always really like uh, there's a lot of passion in all of them regardless of whatever week it is you know i think it's like the fact that dave and craig have spent so much time and effort deciding on a topic and then picking it and 
really doing their homework on it and you can tell like it's it's great fun i know i'm biased but please take my word for it hit subscribe hit follow wherever you are please 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 stay tuned to the no encore feed we've got so much here for you not only um the no encore show and this before the encore we've also got no popcorn which is a music based movies deep dive with uh dave hanready dave higgins and norma howard um again great friends of the show and uh yeah it's just it's very varied in our feed and you know we love to we love to mix it up a little bit but it's um it's great that you're still here so thank you very much um for the listeners of before the encore for anyone who's listened to all the episodes i really appreciate it for anyone who hasn't listened to the other episodes yet i highly recommend you get stuck into them there's a lot in there um varied um varied among many aspects of the music industry from you know, we've got management, we've got people in PR, we've got people who are, you know, doing booking, we've got people who are producers, songwriters, um, engineers, you've got you've got it all. Um, and uh, studio managers as well. It's like there's so much happening and there is so much that will happen in 2022. I'm very, very excited to continue this and, you know, uh, broaden the horizons a bit more. Um and I'm really, really glad that uh, this month I got to sit down with friends of the show, Zara Hedeman, for my chat. Zara Hedeman is one of Ireland's most prolific music journalists, and I uh, have the pleasure of saying that she's a great friend of the show. Uh, she's spent many, many hours dedicated to um, hosting with the guys. She spends time with us on our uh, year-end podcast this year and last year, or last year's and the year before, should I say, Um but she's so prolific. Um, like I said, she writes for Loud and Quiet, uh, The Quietus, uh, The Thin Air, um, many, many more. Um, and you can tell why these guys really want to pick up her work because she speaks so passionately um, in our chat about what she does and why she loves it and how it kind of grew and just the kind of ins and outs of stuff uh, to do with, you know, the, the journalism and uh, critical side of of music and the music industry because that's something that I, I certainly had no real knowledge going in um, going into the chat and I was saying to Zara I was trying to do some research beforehand but I found it very tough because you can do as much research into someone's pieces or into their um, you know in their writing work as much as you can but I think I kind of wanted to go a little bit deeper than that and I wanted to speak about more um more of the kind of philosophical stuff and some stuff that's a bit more personal, I guess. And, you know, influences, things like that. You kind of, maybe a more seasoned reader of uh, of uh, critical analysis of music or um, opinion pieces on music would be a bit better suited to, you know, picking up on maybe influences and stuff like that just by reading. But I kind of wanted to save most of the chat for the pod. And to be honest, I'm glad I did because it really paid dividends in, in the sense of what came out. And uh, it certainly was an episode for me um, during the recording of it that gave me a lot of insight into something that, again, I didn't know very much about, like I said, and really, really glad that um, it was Zara, who, like I said, is a close friend of the show and who um, I've gotten to know over the past couple of years being a part of No Encore. It was great to have her kind of guide me through that. Usually what I would do is I would play some music um, related to the person who is, you know, on the show's work, whether it be um, stuff that they've written, um, stuff that they produce, stuff that they've mixed, um, you know, whether it be an artist that they manage or, you know, something relevant to them. Um, 
with Zara, I wanted to keep it along those lines, but obviously Zara doesn't have anything necessarily that she can put her name to in that sense. So what I've done is I've asked her to give me a couple of tracks of hers that she wants me to play that she feels reflects her journey through um, music journalism and stuff that's kind of stuck with her over um, over the years. And I'm glad to be able to kind of put that spin on it too. It's, it's something a little bit different than normal, but um, I really, really liked it and I really, really hope you enjoy this too. So I won't keep you any longer before getting into this because this has been a very very long intro so um, my apologies but um, let's keep going and let's get stuck in to Before the Encore with Zara Hederman Thanks for joining me. No worries. Thanks for having me. It's great to chat to you one on one and get all the get all the scandooch as you'd say on yes. uh, on the guys and yeah. on, on your whole life. Sure, look, I'm with Dave, Dave and Craig. It's very odd. It is a weird feeling here. Um, I feel on edge. <laughs> so am I. <laughs> uh, no, thanks so much. Um, I think it's going to be great to get the angle of someone who. Um, obviously is a close ally to show and someone who, you know, whose passion is to, you know, you're writing um, quite creatively about music and the music industry as a whole and you're, you know, you're speaking with the people on the ground, you're speaking with the artists, you're speaking with, you know, the people who are behind the scenes like me. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to kind of go back and forth on some stuff and... Um, but first of all, I'd like to know what was the first piece of writing that you did that kind of sparked your thought into maybe this might be something that I'd like to pursue further. So like not necessarily in college or anything mm. like that, but like what was the first time that you remember something like that happening? Yeah, so okay, um, I... After college, I did English and history in college, so I didn't have a journalism background at all, which is probably a bad thing to say on the on the mic to out <laughs> myself. Um, but yeah, I, mean, I don't I, have a music background. If you think oh, about it, I don't. Like I, but then we're grand. College. I was in a band once, and <laughs> you know that, that that was it. Like yeah, you just, just kind of find your way through it. Yeah, like yeah. yeah. Um, so after college, I took kind of a year of figuring things out and thinking about what I wanted to do I didn't really have a clue but I always knew that I loved writing and I decided to set up a blog after college oh look at you yeah it was of the blogging era um it was very cheesy I wrote about loads of different things because at that time as well I was kind of interested in like different lifestyle things and I just never really thought music could be a viable thing for me to do full-time I mean I read enemy and stuff loads growing up and knew that music journalism was a thing but just didn't think I could do it so I remember there was like one blog thing that I did and I wanted to write about music 
because I loved it and was so passionate about it so I set about this challenge for myself of like okay like I'll have a thing on the blog where I write about an, a band or an artist alphabetically so I'd go through like A artists and B artists and all that cool. um, and I remember doing that and that was kind of a moment where I found myself like really getting stuck into those posts and like researching them and really tapping into like a lot of my feelings and how I responded to like the music as opposed to say if I was doing something about fashion which at the time I was a little bit more into absolutely not into it now like um can barely dress myself but um but the music side of it really really fascinated me and then doing that piece in particular for it just like sparked something and I just went rogue and got in contact with I don't know if you remember Le Cool so Le Cool was like this online culture newsletter almost it was kind of like a website but also then had like a newsletter aspect where it would round up different um events gigs films that were coming out and I just like cold emailed Michael McDermott who was like the editor of that at the time who's now the editor of Totally Dublin who I still work with he's amazing um and would just like go to gigs go to plays um I remember going to like what did I go to like some gig and I was just like yeah no this is definitely it like this is what I want to do and from there it just like kind of snowballed like I just didn't really have any kind of shame in my game at all of just like cold emailing people um like I'd be kind of socially inept in that way where I'm just like yeah I'll just email this person and see if I can do this but like you, you, you miss 100% of the chances that you don't take do you know what I mean exactly it's, it's so much there's so much to be said for like approaching something that you're passionate about that way and that you may not necessarily have a background in or have an in or even have kind of any idea how the formality of it works you know yeah yeah absolutely and like from there it was just like I went to state.ie which is now like a defunct um culture music and film site which is amazing um the people that I worked with there like Aaron Drain in particular he was the music editor he was just so supportive and then like was really great at just like steering me in the direction of the thin air um and then from there it just all kind of snowballed but yeah the first thing that I do remember was writing that like inconsequential thing for my own blog which kind of left it off all for me and is that like I'm, I'm glad that that carried because obviously now you're you know you're you've really landed into the freelancing world mm. like much like myself recently that's something yeah. we've very much got in common and um it can be quite daunting at times but I think it's like we were speaking off mic um just a little bit before we sat down to record this and you know it, the lifestyle that you can have when you're doing doing that passionate thing that you love doing mm. but still ha- you're getting like the balance back you know when you're not focusing on not not focusing on anything else but mm. you know what I'm saying it's like nothing has taken up nothing else is like taking up a massive chunk of your time like another job or whatever like that so do you feel like that's fed back into your writing? Having the time now to yeah. like, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I did always find that like when I had a day job that 
like something that I've always loved from when I was like a teenager and I think everyone kind of has this as a teenager but like when you listen to music and then you want to find your own path with it and you become kind of obsessive with it um so I remember being like 13 14 like when we got internet and just like absolutely rinsing last fm or like um always watching say Jules Holland or listening to the radio all the time and always reading like NME or Q magazine and just trying to immerse myself in music and finding stuff in that time because when you're that age you have that kind of disposable time mm-hmm. um and then with work I didn't have that kind of freedom or like uh brain capacity to do because I was just wrecked like um but I would always still find time to like sit down and watch like a documentary about something that I didn't know or like read a book on something that I kind of had like ideas about but just to really immerse myself in it but now yeah I've I've really enjoyed like say starting off a day like going for a walk and listening to an album that I've never listened to before Mm. um so I think that's been like one of the most invaluable things that I've noticed like having that time to like fully dedicate on like not just like music journalism but like fully immersing myself in like this world that I'm in because I think the more you know about something even if it's not something you're necessarily into like I don't like um heavy metal music or anything like that but I'll still like be interested to learn because tenuously there's always like it's always connected there's a connection to yeah. Something. yeah everything is like always inspired by something else exactly yeah like and there's like that whole thing of like there's no such thing as like a fresh idea so I think it's really fascinating to like have that time now to just really get stuck into things because like you're only gonna like improve your own knowledge on something which I think when you're doing something kind of as specific as like producing or like writing about something um to have that in your arsenal is like so invaluable yeah I I, I really agree I couldn't uh like the, the parallels that I can draw between what I'm doing now and that is um you know it's it's uncanny really um like to being able to spend time and like refine your craft a little bit as well I find like that even it's it hasn't been a long time since mm-hmm. I've like started moving into music full time and like really it, it's funny because you don't actually think about and I don't know if this has you know translated to your writing or how you're kind of ingesting other writing or other pieces of culture or whatever mm-hmm. but I find that um I find that I'm like spending more time now looking to see about like technical, now it's, I know it's slightly different, but technical ways of improving my craft and like how I can push through to another level Mm. because I found that like it's quite, um, you don't realise that you hit a ceiling sometimes when you're like, when you have the blinkers on because you're focusing on something else for so long. And I'm conscious that, you know, I'm talking about like splitting focus a lot here and I'll move off that topic. But <laughs> do you find that like you're doing that a little bit more now and you're spending time consuming other pieces of writing to mm. kind of not so much like borrow ideas, but mm. to, I suppose, see what is happening now. Um, not just in the subject matter, but in the kind of writing styles, I guess. I know that, you know, we all have our own styles of things, but... Yeah, I kind of go through, like, different phases of... Like, obviously, if I see um, 
an album that's been released that I'm really interested to hear or read someone's take on it, I'll always like jump to like a handful of like uh, writers that I really, really respect and admire and feel very like inspired by. So one in particular is um, Sam Sadomsky. He writes for Pitchfork. Um, And I'm just obsessed with the way that he writes about music and kind of builds a story around the songs in a way that's very, um, not relatable, but I guess like a way that I really understand um, reading about music. Because I wouldn't be like the most um, technically gifted with like terms and whatever. Like when I was younger, I... Sorry to cut across you, but I think sometimes that's better. Yeah. Because you're then having to develop the language you know yourself and like you're kind of trying to I suppose not generalise imagery but you're trying to like create an image that you know is relatable for you and I think in that way it's you can see that it's genuine and that I think I find and I've said it to other people from other aspects of work and you know I've said it on this podcast no doubt Mm. but I think the more genuine that you are the more that people connect to what you're doing Mm. And I don't, I don't think that that necessarily just applies to like a, an art form, like you know, a craft. Do you know what I mean? I don't, not like making music or painting or you know, like a playwright or whatever. But yeah. I think that it applies across the board. Yeah, big time. And like I find, like sometimes I go through like waves of like reading a lot of like reviews and like generally when I do go to my desk or when I open up a computer I'll always kind of open up say um a few like music sites and like scan through like what's been reviewed and like have a read of them and look out for like particular people that like I love to read like Sam Sadomsky or like um Joe Goggins who writes a lot for say like Loud and Quiet he's brilliant Jude Rogers is obviously amazing Laura Snapes is great but I found actually around Christmas time I guess it was just the kind of fatigue of like end of year stuff coming out everything is like it's the same yeah different same thing yeah and then so I kind of just got um really fatigued with like reading reviews that like while they're all really well written there is like a, a formula to it in a way and it's like similar language sometimes and what I kind of switched to was just reading like books again so like one that I read recently over Christmas was Ghosts of My Life, which is by this guy called Mark Fisher, who was a um, a critical writer and a, a music journalist who had a, a blog called K-Punk. Um, and his way of talking about, say, acts like Burial, um, The Caretaker, and just like relating music within a landscape of like politics um, and culture and society that was like hugely important for me recently in like changing and like reinvigorating my brain and like reinvigorating how I then approached writing about an album because I finished that book and then I reviewed an album and like I was just completely listening to the lyrics for different reasons and even just like like in that book as well a big thing that he talks about is like hauntology and like talking about say like you know, like William Basinski's kind of style of music with like the loop and, you know, memory being incorporated into that and the concept of time as well. And I just found that really fascinating, like how he related 
music to history and to like how it affects society and why society needs music and like the effects it can have on people and then recently um I watched a documentary called Sisters with Transistors which is all about like women women with synths isn't exactly it? Yeah, yeah I've seen I've oh, seen like trailers for it but I haven't actually like sat down and watched it yet yeah, it's on my watch list it's like, absolutely fascinating great. it's really great but like just like seeing all these different like life stories of women who were during like World War 2 in particular in, in England like working in the BBC doing like kind of library music kind of stuff and then using the equipment to then make electronic music music in like the evening time but to hear them like talk about how in their music that they were making like they were kind of relating to like say hearing bombs going off in the city and how like they would listen to that and hear music in that and in a really him. weird way yeah. like but capturing that sense of um desolation and despair in that music mm-hmm. and that like line just really I was say blew my brain um, <laughs> after um, but that just really like sparked something in me where it then made me want to listen to music not just electronic music but all sorts of music and when I'm out and about like listening out for like how musical everyday things can be and then thinking about that and how to incorporate that kind of thinking into like articulating you know how a song sounds from an album that I'm reviewing so like kind of coming at things like from that bizarre like esoteric level and probably sounding really pretentious like but like trying to like trying to make things interesting because you know when I did like English and history in college I just loved researching something so much say with the history side of it and then with like the English side of my brain, having that critical kind of yeah. evaluation side, um, that's just something that I think is very natural for my brain. Like I'm not mathematical, I'm not scientific. I've literally no common sense. Like I don't know my left from my right. <laughs> but like that kind of side of my um, senses, I feel like now that I'm really kind of trying to tune and become really acutely aware of as well and to like not just be wait like not just do things for the sake of it to like really put time and to put effort into it because you know substance in the words yeah because like you're listening to an album by someone or a song by someone who has put so much of themselves into something so it'd be kind of like disrespectful to just like like listen to something once and on the surface like think about something um i just i really love going like delve deep into it yeah yeah i think you've you've caught onto something there that sparked my it sparked something a thought in my head Mm. um and you were saying that you know to not put that effort or and or thought into something is disrespectful to an artist Mm. um what immediately came to my mind there was the concept of a bad review mm. um, and how maybe a new artist might receive that. Um, I'd like to like see what the thought process is from your side when it comes to, say, something that's like classified as quote-unquote new music, maybe local, maybe not. Um, and I suppose I'd like to get the side of the journalist that not the side of the artist because I've been on the artist side and it can be disheartening to get yeah. a bad review but there's merit to getting it mm. because it's not it's like it's 
not just said for no reason. Mm. There's merit to it. And I think there like people like you and people like Dave and people like Craig and, you know, the journalists you mentioned, Laura Snapes and, you know, the guys at Pitchfork, I think they're like they're saying they're not saying it for nothing. Mm. I think that what the common thread is with you know people who devote their lives and their you know this is their passion that, that they're writing about music they're not just saying it to be snarky and mm. I think that that's what a lot of maybe acts who are fresh on the scene or are putting their first release out or something like that particularly independent artists yeah. can be quite you know can feel quite knocked back but I'd like to know what the process is on your side when you hear something and maybe it's not clicking mm-hmm. or there's a disconnect. Mm. Um, whereas maybe it might not be disconnecting with other publications or other journalists. They might like it, but it might be, you know, you that's mm. quote unquote slating it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So like I, I had a thing as well. I still do it today. Like if I'm reviewing something I'll never read um, someone else's review of the same thing before I start to do mine. Yeah, um, practice, I think, in general, right? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, because I don't want to be swayed in one direction or another. Like, obviously, like, I'm very um, devout in my opinion on something. I'll know if I like something or not. Yeah. Um, it's a really difficult one with a bad review, especially with, as you're saying, like, an independent and a local act. Um because like you're aware that like especially if it's like a debut album like you're aware that like oh like there's ideas here that are working but maybe the execution isn't right or the production isn't great or the lyrics just aren't like strong enough that like you can still sometimes feel the passion in the album Mm -hmm. and like you can incorporate that into the review like you can say and no doubt that 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 has been the case for a lot of of these you know write-ups yeah that i'd say has been missed in probably 90 percent of cases yeah you know just given the fact that maybe it's got i don't know well like two stars Mm. out of five or one star out of five or whatever and like i said there might be that piece which could be which could be kind of the most meaningful part of the review yeah but it's not. It does. It doesn't really mean anything yeah. then, because there there's a distraction with the things that are quote unquote wrong with it, or mm-hmm. just not right with it. But I've always like from the very start of like when I was starting out to write, and actually this morning I was when I was like jogging my brain of like, okay, what have I done in the past? Um, I went on to say like the thin air, um, and went through like some of my old reviews and like. <laughs> so like hilariously like scathing like some things but like from the beginning I just always had that in my head that I wanted to be true to my own integrity and to build my own integrity as a journalist because I just like felt that if I wasn't going to be honest and just appeasing certain releases because they were a local band or they were Irish. Mm. Like, I was never going to just give constantly glowing reviews to 
albums because I was afraid of bumping into someone mm-hmm. at, at like a gig or something and for them to come up and be like why didn't you like my album I was never like obviously that is a bit of a fear like <laughs> um, of course yeah, yeah. I can imagine but like I was never ever going to compromise my own craft of writing a review because then just like for the people who might read your work they can tell like if you don't like something like you can tell if someone doesn't like an album or hasn't really listened to an album and they'll just veer off talking about like something like the story of a band instead of actually what's being um discussed so I never kind of feared being honest about that and like I've had to do like a lot of kind of um Irish releases on say like um bigger platforms be it like the Irish Times in the past or like even I do like Arena and RT quite a lot and Arena are great in that like they're always in the three albums that are up for review they'll always try and have like an Irish album in there and there's been so many times where like I've been on and reviewed an Irish act and it hasn't I haven't given it a very favourable review and I haven't been afraid to like give it a one out of five or a two out of five. But I'll always be very kind of, I think, um, and I hope fair in what I Mm criticise, be it like the melody or the lyrics. And like, I think you'll do the act a disservice if you say that their lyrics are amazing when they're not. Because if they read that and they're like, oh, I'm like I'm like Chekhov here like I'm great Mm. they're never then going to try and push themselves to think differently about how they approach their music and I'm not saying that like me and reviewers are going to like make music better we're absolutely not like no but I think there's like there's a merit to what you do like mm. I said before you know you're not saying you're not saying what you're saying for it to go into an echo chamber and not be heard yeah I think that the role of a critic is extraordinarily important in art in general because mm. like you know the, I think critics have the power to critics and journalists have the power to set trends in the culture industry you know and in like the kind of cultural um, the cultural sphere and that's like you can see it happen like you know you don't you don't um hear of like an upcoming release because it's like this critically acclaimed Mm. this like it's not critically acclaimed is that term and that's as a result of journalism yeah and that's I think that just goes to show how important that it is Mm. Um, but equally on that side when you do a review of something and it is it it blows your mind Mm. when something like kind of just I suppose flips your idea of something on its head in the most positive way um, that must be like an incredibly rewarding experience because like what you get to do is you kind of get it twofold right because mm. you get it as a listener as someone who gets to consume the art mm. and then you get to tell like you get to tell people about your experience of that yeah so what's that process like for you um, so exciting it's yeah. like like recently I had um, I got to review Kate LeBond's album for Loud and Quiet and she's I know you're a fan of Kate LeBond as well love her like she's she's amazing and what I love about her is kind of like what we were like talking about um, earlier and I'm always like lapping on 
gabbing on about this. I was <laughs> <laughs> really good at words. Um, but I'm always like fascinated by an artist, say like her, who just from album to album would do something completely different or else would do something on one album and then the next one will kind of expand it a bit more and take it to new ways. And she is someone that I just think is fairly like untouchable I love all of her music and to see her live she's great and when I got to review her album I was so excited to just like be like and as well like you have that album a good bit in advance of like when it's coming out Mm -hmm. so there's also that kind of feeling of like you feel like you're the only person in the world with it which is a really kind of nice feeling it's like when you wake up at like five in the morning unintentionally and you feel like you're the only person awake that kind of like sense of aloneness with something um but then at the same time like when you get so into the album and into the world of it sometimes it can become like very overwhelming and daunting to be like okay I have this album that I think is incredible and I think is like a masterpiece now I feel like a lot of pressure on myself to really shine that light on that. Yeah. And to articulate ideas well. And yeah, just to do a service on like writing about an album and for maybe someone to be on a bus and like have a bit of time to like read something and they might see a publication pushing a review and you're like, oh, fuck it. Like, I don't know anything about this person, but I read this review. So there's a lot of pressure when you kind of think about how you're really like, not like selling the album but I guess you are like pitching it to someone to be like this is why you should listen to this album this is this person's story this is what the songs sound like um so in that way it can be really scary sometimes and like I do have like a bit of a terrible habit of like getting stuck into an album doing my notes for like my reviews which like are comically like they're literally just like brain farts on a page like they're the most like they make no sense initially like to anyone else but me in my head and then to turn all of those words into something that's like coherent and something that like someone would want to read like I find that sometimes very scary when it is something that like I love and care about a lot mm, yeah. um, and like similarly like if I don't like it because you want to make sure that you're articulating something properly um so yeah it can be exciting but very daunting in that position as well even though you're like excited about it there's like a talking point here but I feel like there might be something in it what about middle of the road like I feel like my initial thought is that could be the hardest right Mm. because it's just like it's not like you're not any kind of extreme so like in terms of how you would approach something that's kind of like not really doing it for you but you can feel there's something and you know it's not crap and it's not Mm you know mind-bendingly good 
that to me, I, I, I like if I was to think about that, that would I think I'd find that more stressful than any either of the extremes, you know. Yeah, yeah, and actually, funny enough that you like mentioned it, I did have one like that really recently that was really kind of messing with my head for a bit. Um, so I reviewed Midlake's new album, and like I love Trials of Van Occupanter. That's one of my go-to albums of the last like, couple of years. Like I got into it late, and like I love that album. I think it's amazing. Um, and then didn't really explore too much of their the rest of their discography. Mm. And then I saw that they were coming back. They had a new single that came out in January and I stuck it on. And it was amazing. Like I was walking home, I'd had like two pints and I was just like, this that is... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I was just like, it was that feeling of like, when you've kind of had a band and an album that you really love and you just don't expect them to ever come back. Um, and then when they do like have this surprise re-arrival, it's really exhilarating and it kind of like um, makes it all the more dramatic. So like I heard their first single and I just like, I just felt 10 feet tall listening to it and couldn't stop listening to it. And then like I pitched to review it and I was really excited to hear the album. And then I got into the album and I was like, oh, um, this isn't what I was expecting at all. And like the more I listened to it, the more I was like, this just feels like really stale. And I felt like, I felt really bad because like I had had this initial feeling for it and I had this expectation and I was the one who went to like my editor to be like, can I like review this? And then I was like, there was times where I would listen to it and really like parts of it but then there was times where I was like I feel like I've heard this on so many albums five years ago and like lyrically it was fine um and like they are a very good band but it just like there was just times where I was like no I don't think this is a great album at all Mm -hmm. and then there was times where I was like "Mm, maybe you're just being too harsh because of your expectations so that was really difficult and that's that's something I kind of want to I suppose dive into a little bit deeper do you feel like as your list as a listener, sometimes your judgment can be clouded, particularly with um, a case like that where you know your expectations are are massive because mm. of this one thing, and we've all had cases of that as like fans of an act or um, you know you uh, you hear like one thing from a new a new artist and it's like oh this is going to be amazing and it's mm. just not mm. um, do, does that like obviously it feeds into your work but do you ever feel like your judgement can be clouded by either that or something else to do with your consumption as a listener mm. um, I guess obviously like there is when you have like a special kind of relationship or bond to an artist say like with Kate LeBon and like reviewing that album I would have been really disappointed had that album been terrible mm-hmm. but, but I at the same time I feel like you probably wouldn't have pulled your punches with that either oh god yeah no I would have yeah. said for sure like what didn't work and what mm-hmm. did work obviously there are things like you know what cloud your judgement f- for me is like the kind of behaviors of maybe like as well an artist when you're listening to their music that can be kind of difficult but a lot of the time 
I just kind of take the music for what it is. So, and you kind of, you do have those instinctual kind of, you know whether or not you like something or not. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I'm kind of steady in that one. Yeah, I suppose yeah. at the same time, like it may be a defunct question because that's what you're being asked, you know, you're being asked to provide your opinion on something and put that in writing. So like, like again, that could be a totally, a totally, you know, non, a moot point, I suppose. Um, but with, um, I have totally lost my train of thought, so I'm <laughs> going to edit this. I also completely lost my train no, of thought. I have it now. I have it now. Okay. You mentioned the behaviour of acts and how that's difficult to distance yourself sometimes. Um, obviously, you know, in terms of certain social movements and stuff like that, you want to see, you know, you want to see people in a in a place of influence contribute to the positivity of of said social movements or, you know, mm. whatever's happening, use their voice for good, mm. um, I suppose, to kind of use a blanket term. Mm. Um, what is the what? What do you feel like your role is there? Do you feel like you know you owe it to the readers as a person who is in a position of influence? And I think that is you know fair to say that journalists are, mm. um, because you're putting your work out there for the general public to read. So how do you feel about like about the journalist position and those social movements and like that with what you in conjunction with what you are doing? is it important to is it important as a journalist writing about music to be apolitical un, until such a time as like that is the message that you see hmm. or do you think that there is um, you know it's important to kind of look outside the music as well hmm. yeah it definitely is and I read a really good uh, review a couple of weeks ago that band Yard Act mm-hmm. Um so they had their album come out a couple of weeks ago and it was Fergal Kinney, I think, who reviewed it for The Quietest and it was for their album of the week feature. So you're allowed to have a, like a thousand to kind of two thousand words on an album. And I read that and he was talking a lot about like the government in England at the moment and like how say like bands like Yard Act and Idols um, were like coming up and they were really talking a lot about say misogyny in like music and, and all that kind of stuff and talking about like the Tory government um, Seaford Mods as well is another mm-hmm. example of that kind of um, wave of bands at the moment in, in England doing that and his like review of it was just it was like incredibly long and the start of it was just like almost giving a backstory into like the sprexigan I can never say that word properly but like the spoken word kind of style of um, delivering lyrics it was almost like a history of that and why that's really important and then obviously talking about like England at the moment um, and then incorporating the music into it and it was really fascinating to kind of have that duality within Mm -hmm. a review because obviously, like, it gives you a bit more of an understanding of how a country is kind of operating at the moment or how, like, a movement like, say, like, Me Too or whatever and, like, how women in music are, like, speaking out a lot more and being a lot more kind of, um, 
I don't know if cogent is the word, but like say self-esteem, like her album really talking out or talking about like say different interactions she had with like men or sound engineers, like being very dismissive to her. So I think that like as someone who is then like being dealt the responsibility of relaying the, the content and the context of an album to an audience is really important because like obviously you'll have a side you'll you'll know what you think is right Mm -hmm. and I think in the case of say like self-esteem I think she was doing what she was doing with her music with all of the right intentions and all of the right motivations um so it's great to then be able to kind of support that message and share that and then like it's funny when say like with Yard Act or even like you hear like Irish bands who have like take on certain kind of political agendas and like idols as well maybe to a certain extent and you don't really you hear them say these words but you don't always necessarily believe that they actually have the fire in their belly or actually the belief in in what they're saying like they obviously probably do believe what they're saying they're saying it um but there's just something that's not really connecting very well um from like their message to your ears and it doesn't really sit right with you so that can be difficult when you're like when you can kind of feel cynical towards an act like that yeah and on the flip side um well the the reason i asked the question Mm. in the first place is because i don't like you were you mentioned the word context i don't think you can have one without the other so that's why i think like i kind of in the back of my head I kind of thought that was what you would say and that would be, you know, the fact that the context is is everything really, mm. you know, you can't kind of just take, like lyrical content has a meaning, you know, and it always it's always going to as someone who would assist with songwriting and who would kind of be in that, involved in that process. It's important just mm. not to say something for nothing. Yeah. Um, but equally, um, you say that, you know, it's great to be able to stand behind a piece of work when you believe the message mm. and the execution is there as well mm. has there ever been a case where you think that the belief and message is there but the execution has been wrong oh um interesting question you know you know what i mean because yeah. like it's it, it's all well and good being able to be like i fully support what you are doing but i can imagine trying to write about something must be that must be like a real battle an internal battle to try and deal with a review where it's where you're consuming this art and it's so clear what they're talking about the act to whoever this may be now I don't have anyone in mind I yeah. think it's just the concept of it is yeah. interesting to me mm. um, but to be able to like stand behind some kind like obviously they're well intentioned mm. in terms of the context of the music mm. but if it if it is quote unquote bad music yeah <laughs> you know yeah like the only kind of it's a really good question, um, and I've you've startled me with that now. Haven't you? Um, <laughs> I but have the a one, <laughs> but things out of the order, you know. The one I think, I guess, that I can kind of think of at the moment is to go back to the self-esteem album. Um, I was on No Encore with Dave, I think, reviewing that, mm-hmm. and I really liked Rebecca Lucy Taylor as an individual. Like, I loved what she was doing I thought it was really important um, and I think it's great that her audience will hear these messages 
and really feel some kind of validation or solidarity Billie Eilish too maybe to like a lesser extent um but it's not the kind of music that I like like I don't and you can't really separate that can yeah you? when you when you're so uh, like when you're like I say you're being asked your opinion you have the platform to give it yeah like it's, it's I can't imagine like how difficult that must be to be able to be like I really want to say good things about yeah. this but I can't yeah you know or I wanted it to be this thing because of this it like I wish it was better yeah it's not yeah and like I've had I've had conversations with um like friends about like how I how I feel that like Billie Eilish is someone who I think is a great pop star and um to some extent like a, a good role model as well for like mm. like I have a 13 year old niece and she's a fan of her and I really like that and I think it's great but at the same time I just kind of wish that the music was better because when I do say things like oh the self-esteem album was really great and I think it's really important but at the same time I haven't really gone b- I haven't gone back to it, to it. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I do think it is a great album to listen to especially in this kind of time and this climate where you know like misogyny and attacks against women are like so um not that they're yeah they're at the fore and I think it's really important for everyone to listen to that and to listen to a woman's experience of that and for her to be very generous in like being forthright and And honest about it and candid absolutely yeah so I do think that there have been instances like that where I'm like yeah you should listen to this but at the same time I'm also like but I really just don't like how the music sounds to Mm -hmm. it but I don't know I guess you just kind of have to get past that a little bit yeah um but also like going back to say something about like what you're asking earlier about like if someone has like a kind of political like thing with like music or like a message and and stuff yeah Yeah. like something that I was thinking about then afterwards it's just like how intrinsic music has always been to say like political music and like you've got protest songs and punk is essentially born out of that exactly yeah and like it's such an important vessel for sharing an opinion or like trying to dismantle a system or um to um expose like some kind of corruption or express how you feel about something it's so good and it's such a it's such a I think invaluable way for teenagers or people in their 20s or 30s all ages to to learn actually about like something in history or Mm -hmm. about what's going on because I've I have found personally that like music and some acts have really kind of given me a language of like how to understand like certain things that happened or um and I'm assuming this could be anyone like this yeah. isn't just this isn't just limited to the political climate of Exa- now yeah. or the you know socioeconomic climate of yeah. now I imagine that, like because I know that you're a fan of Bob Dylan yeah. and the likes of you know issues that would have been around that time where you know Bob was very much involved with a whole lot of movements and, you know, yeah. spoke very clearly and, you know, um, comprehensively about so many things. Um, so to, yeah, for it to be like, not just limited to that, 
you know. Yeah, and actually, while I was rambling on about like that stuff there, I Bob was literally the person I was thinking of. Yeah, I had a feeling, all right. Yeah, <laughs> you can see it in my eyes. <laughs> but like, it's just like really fascinating that he is this like songwriter who has had a career of like fifty years, who has like taught like sung about like Vietnam and like all. Kind of thing I was exactly like, yeah when I was kind of thinking, but then like we'll also in twenty twenty have a seventeen minute long song about the day that J- JFK was shot yeah and like really kind of takes you into that specific moment so it's like using kind of music as almost as well like a historical document because mm-hmm. like a lot of times like songs yeah they're really enjoyable and they're something that you can sing along to and enjoy and listen to passively but they're also like it can't be kind of discredited how some songs are really important documents of a time. And I think yeah, like... A moment in time. I think like when I'm... I suppose this is may or may not be relevant, but when I'm producing a record or I'm working with an artist and we're looking for... Um, we're looking for a particular, you know, feeling... And it could be about anything like, um, you know, I work with artists who would be outspoken on their political beliefs. I would work with artists who would be, I suppose their songwriting might seem a little bit more superficial. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got a nice balance. But I think that what is important is to capture the feeling of a moment in time and what you are saying mm. or what you are singing or, you know, speaking about. Mm. Um and that might not necessarily be... I spoke to Cormac on the last episode of um, Before the Encore about this and he was saying about his work with Gavin James and he said it's about painting a picture and creating a feeling and creating a motif. Mm. And what Bob, it was very sombre, that whole feeling about, um, you know, the day that JFK died that whole that song you know you spoke about it I think on the end of the year episode that, yeah, yeah. that year um, but like the most appealing thing I think as someone who is involved in provide like I, I suppose being a conduit for getting the music from the artist to the listener that was is what I would consider my main role is like making sure that it's accessible mm. and I suppose is most the most impactful it could be so you really want to make sure that those words have a feeling and Cormac said with Gavin James that he you know they used demo vocals in some of them because the emotion in what he was saying was there yeah. Um, I think that that's equally as important as what you're writing about if not more sometimes yeah. and I think that with artists like uh, I suppose as prolific as Bob Dylan and you look at I don't know like Bruce Springsteen would be mm. a good example of someone who would have spoken a lot about you know um, working class people in you know New Jersey and New York and you know all of that kind of general era of like the 70s and 80s and stuff mm. um, I think it's sometimes it's in the way you speak about those things as well that can really like be the record of the moment in time mm. Yeah. And again, like there that sincerity is so integral to to the work because I mean there's so many bands in Ireland who have taken on like a political agenda, but they sound so clueless in what they're saying. 
like in their songs. Like they're saying things about like the government or like people in areas in, in Dublin or whatever. And it's it's just very po-faced because it's like, well, you, you don't really, I can tell that like you ha- haven't had that kind of experience. Mm-hmm. Um not to like project onto like anyone else's experience. Obviously you can never know what someone has been through unless you mm. walk in their shoes. But like there has felt, I think in the last like couple of years, a sort of like a class tor- tourism in music as well, which is very difficult when there are so many people who are trying to use music and who have had experiences and have feel very passionately about it. Mm-hmm. You can tell though. Yeah. I think like for me, I always feel like I can tell when that's like I I have a radar that I feel like works. Maybe yeah. To, I, I wouldn't be as like a critically in tune as maybe you would be or I wouldn't necessarily have the same language maybe that mm. you might. Um, But I feel like I understand what you, you're saying when you say that. Mm. And I think there are important artists who are doing that in the right way. And I think uh, to call out one by name, I think Cello is an incredible artist who's doing that. And he like is using a contemporary form of music. He's using the drill, the drill flow and drill beats. And he's, but he's, I suppose his modus operandi is he's like, maintaining an Irish identity and he's speaking about where he's from and he's talking about the problems and he's talking Mm. about the area and it's so real to me Mm. like it's so real Um, and like it it, it's almost like reading a book when you're (laughs) listening to him speak about what he's speaking about Um, particularly like with the song Dublin he's speaking about you know Bon Oak where he's from uh, Dublin 22 like it's his it's where he grew up and mm. you can, like I, I know the Clondalkin area because I've had family who lived there for years so mm. like again I kind of can I can see now not I'm not saying that I I'm immersed in that I'm not saying I grew up in that and I don't necessarily fully understand it to the same degree as someone who's writing about it mm. like Sello is but he's helping me understand yeah and I think that painting that picture makes an important artist yeah what, as a critic for you, makes an important artist? Um, and it could, it, I'm not talking contemporary. I'm yeah, talking in a, general. of all time. Like I know Bob Dylan is an important mm. artist. In I think it's safe to say he's an important artist in general. While I might, might not be his biggest fan, might not have consumed a lot of his music over time in comparison to you, I still uh, I understand the importance of the likes of him, the likes of the Beatles. Again, I wouldn't be... To au fait with their discography, which is could, could get me absolutely written off of like anyone's radar by just saying that. But um, even like the aforementioned Bruce Springsteen, I I, maybe yeah, it's I because I don't connect. And I think that like things that I I really would find myself immersing myself into are stuff that I would connect with. And I think, like I said, that's what for me makes an important artist. So mm. I'd just love to know what makes one for you for me something that I always really appreciate is like when someone is willing and um open to their own kind of artistic evolution so like say someone who in their music can I mean loads of those people that like you mentioned there are kind of perfect examples of this where say like uh Bob Dylan or the Beatles the one I kind of always think about and I just 
think is an outstanding artist is Scott Walker. Mm. So like Scott Walker started out in like obviously the Walker Brothers, like um, this um, pretty poster boy kind of 60s pop group who had like amazing songs and really of that kind of big wall of sound, very orchestral sound. And then when he went on to have his solo career after them, he kind of stuck with that style for a little bit. But then he was doing like incorporating covers of like Jacques Brel songs, which for that time was just kind of unthinkable. And like being really bawdy with those songs, like Jacques Brel songs can be like dirty as hell, like, but they're amazing compositions. And then like Scott just kind of like went away for a little bit and he returned then. And his sound just always differed from album to album. And he always kind of turned it up a notch or just went somewhere a bit more different or weird. Like his later albums, like Bish Bosh and Tilt, they're insane. Like they're absolutely, they're almost kind of like impenetrable, but they still had like that very like operatic sensibility to it and very theatrical Um, and obviously like he is someone who had probably one of the greatest voices of all time but in his lyrics as well he can he could really speak to you and I think like say with like Bob Dylan and the Beatles like they obviously the beginning of their career was very different they had a very different sound that like steadily kind of like either went electric or you know embraced kind of more Indian sensibilities in their music and became more psychedelic and what I kind of always think is really important for like an important artist or someone that I would openly like recommend to someone is like someone who in their discography can have songs that like resonate with something that you've gone through and who can be funny in their lyrics as well who doesn't necessarily take themselves too seriously who can have fun with it and share that kind of feeling of like making music in the moment or making music with like a group of their friends but then who's also like willing to go there with their sound and do something that's different to what is going on contemporaneously to them because that's why they're so evergreen and that's why they're so revered now so like now I kind of think people like um like Kate LeBon like uh Dan Behar of Destroyer I think does it um Kanye West I think does it really well um to be chameleonic and ever evolving and to not I mean, I guess Kanye does kind of stand in the way of himself, but that's more so in a different that's kind different, of way. Yeah. yeah. Conversation but really. like for an artist to just kind of give themselves free reign to just embrace whatever they want to do or whatever they're into. I think that's really important because they are the ones who tend to take music somewhere further and different. I have a question on the back of that and it's, because you, you spoke about the past and Scott Walker and you know I think do you, sometimes I feel like the past can cloud the future a little bit or the past can kind of be to, can do a disservice to the contemporary in that conversation maybe because I feel like now like uh, how do you I suppose you have to like 
in order to be prolific and important, you need to kind of keep doing what you're doing and maintain that for a long time. But it, with the digital age, it, people's attention spans are a lot shorter. So, and I think that creators, you know, perseverance can probably, off the back of that, maybe not waning, but impacted, mm. I think would be a good word. So my question is that, do you think that, like, I, I do think it will continue. Mm. I do think we will continue to have important artists and I think that will, it's always going to happen. You're going to have the important people of a time who are doing what they're doing. Like I think if, if we're talking locally again, uh, I think David Balfour is obviously, uh, is, uh, he stands out in, mm. in his own kind of realm of existence in that regard because it's just everything is so real and it's so forward thinking and unashamedly himself and mm. it's a real kind of insight into a person mm-hmm. um, and I think that you know Kanye West is like that Dan Behar mm. um, I feel like however the further we go on I think there might be more time between people like that yeah and it's it's interesting because when you're talking about that like I was kind of thinking say how time how history and how the present are kind of coexisting in a way within the kind of context of an important artist I think of say like like Lancome mm-hmm. um, and how they have taken a, f- a style of music like traditional music and folk music and they have songs like that are a hundred years old sometimes, yeah. 60 years old and they have brought them into today and I think as well of like John Francis Flynn as well yeah, yeah. who has done a similar thing where his album from last year Again, like he has songs that were by like Shirley and Dolly Collins um, that are like 50 odd years old, the songs. And to take those songs and to make them really relevant for today's audiences and using history in that way and like putting, whether it's like loads of drones into like the production and into the soundscapes as Lancome do or with John, like salutating two tin tin whistles together and like creating this, otherworldly sound that is still familiar but you're like what how does he do this and adding like the electronic textures I think that's a really interesting way and that artists are being important now by like bringing the past back into the present and making it relevant and it's also kind of no surprise that traditional music is become so popular now as well like post-Brexit and all that Mm -hmm. like with Ireland and I think yeah like not thinking about say like that kind of way of looking at important artists and like Dave Balf like incorporating so much of themselves into their work and doing it with a style of music again that just feels very like genuine to them Mm -hmm. that they like grew up to I do think that there are still like plenty of important artists and obviously like we're kind of experiencing them like contemporaneously as there so it's always kind of difficult to know like in 20 years time like oh this person is yeah yeah. it's going to be what but that's kind of what that's kind of where I'm thinking I guess because it's easy to look back and see the vast 
sea of mm. important people involved in you know the cultural sphere I spoke about earlier and that's not just music that's yeah. art and you know you feel uh, I, I personally like um, my girlfriend's a painter mm. and um, this might be completely tone deaf and like uneducated in to speak to that because again I don't really you know I, w- I wouldn't have a massive background on that now I would be interested in that world but I wouldn't really dive too mm. deep in I dip my toes in but <laughs> I feel like you've got artists like, you know, there's artists from like hundreds and hundreds of years ago or like thousands of years ago. You know, you're you're talking the likes of Michelangelo, you're talking mm. the likes of like Van Gogh, you're talking um, Salvatore Dali, like and Andy Warhol would be a, a contemporary. Mm. But since then, it's like, I feel like there's just a bigger space between who's next and like, my concern is that the sea, I suppose, is getting like this is just again, it's a personal opinion. Yeah. It's just that my concern is that subgenres are becoming so, um, they're, like they're just splitting off. It's just it, it, it's constantly multiplying at breakneck speed, and like new genres are being created. You, like recently, you've got in the last couple of years, you've got hyper pop, cloud rap, you've got like all of these like incredible incredible things that are happening yeah PC music as well yeah, and stuff like that yeah like, yeah yeah. and even like the whole lo-fi re- renaissance and uh, you know I suppose there's the, the punk renaissance as well which seems to be happening it's like everything's kind of like topsy-turvy there doesn't seem to be necessarily a trend you yeah. know to like what's developing so as a critic do you feel like that is could be of benefit or could it be a disservice because my concern would be that there's too much dilution sometimes yeah. and that you might miss something that could be the next most important thing. Yeah. But because it's so, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I suppose though, they say the cream rises to the top. It's a bit of a, a push and pull maybe question to ask. But. Yeah. No, it's, it's definitely, it's something that myself and my friends have been talking a lot about. So like about, Two years ago, um, myself and uh, my boyfriend Topley, we were uh, talking with like a friend about like music and like how um, like 60s had like a kind of defining style and genre, 70s as well, 80s and all. And we were just kind of like talking about how like today's music doesn't really doesn't. have a defining sound. And I think that's because there's so much. Yeah. And we were Which just, is great. And it's like, it's great, but also you're missing that, you know? Yeah. And it's like having a defining sound for a time. Like even like sometimes when I'm listening to an album that's created like in 2022 and I'll be listening to it and I'm like, this sounds so like enemy era 2005, 2006, like mm. the landfill indie thing, which like <laughs> yeah. even that kind of has like, oh, I miss those days every day. Like, <laughs> but like how there's not a, a kind of moment now that like is sticking and also how it doesn't always feel as well that there is an artist or an act that are really kind of champion. And then like that kind of a, 
a genre. That like, like the front of a movement. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Like there's no one who's really kind of doing that at the moment, which obviously like, yeah, streaming has like such a huge part of it and the internet has a huge um, kind of influence on it because like the way people make music now is so different and there's so many more different opportunities and there's so many more kind of programs and software available to make like weird sounding shit like so there's no real kind of there's no real impetus to really try and sound like anything that's like kind of contemporaneous at the moment like everyone just kind of wants to do their own thing always doesn't always sound good like doesn't always mean it's gonna like sound great like but I just think that there's definitely more opportunity for people to and as well like to make music independently like with the rise rise of like SoundCloud and all that kind of stuff and just as well like with the pandemic people just like messaging people to collaborate so that kind of cross-pollination of stuff is while it has kind of like not like sacrificed like having a defining sound like it's just it's just a it's made of the it a, environment right yeah and it's made it i think a really weird time for music in some ways cuz like even to in 2022 to listen to an album and be able to like immediately correlate it to 2005 or that kind of time i wonder like in 10 years time if i'm still is that going to still connect yeah, yeah or like will i ever be like oh this reminds me of something from like 2022 because 2022 music also doesn't, it it either sounds very much like something from the 90s or the 80s, which I have noticed a lot recently in like reviewing stuff. I find in my notes for something, whether it's like reviewing like a Mitski album or reviewing like Johnny Marr who had an album out and like, thinking about like how certain synth parts immediately make me think of like tears for fears like and that's been like such a solid reference point for me now where it's just like everything just feels very like 80s synth pop Mm -hmm. that I've just been reviewing in say like mainstream music but that was like 40 years ago is like that musical reference and then there's also like kind of parts to pick on the Mitski album again there's parts of that album that sounds so like Arcade Fire's like The Suburbs, which is a really weird kind of disparity of time for like Suburbs came out in 2005, 2004. I'm leaning to you. I, I have no idea. Yeah, I can't remember. No, it must have been much later because, yeah, anyway, scratch that. <laughs> we digress. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's interesting how like, like someone like Arcade Fire, who to, to me, like, they were massive when I was like a teenager mm. and it's weird for me now to like listen to that Mitski or like um, Black Country New Road and hear them also kind of like really tapping into Arcade Fire especially because they're a much younger band than I am they're like maybe like 22 mm-hmm. so they would have been like 10 or so when Arcade Fire really having their moment so it's strange to like have those different reference points and just then think to yourself like god like what is music actually going to sound like in Mm -hmm. five years time or ten years time
go back to the past a little bit more, um, you kind of you were talking about how you consume music and what you were talking about like the likes of SoundCloud and streaming and you know obviously that's it's so easy to consume and find music and acts you haven't heard before with like algorithmic playlists and um, all that kind of stuff but I wonder when you like obviously when you began writing you had your you know your blog and you would have been consuming music in a very different way and finding artists in a very different way so that would have maybe like limited itself to what you were reading in physical print or what you had in your CD collection maybe or like a family member I think like everyone kind of in our generation yeah. would have been heavily influenced by a family member or a close friend or yeah. like I said you know the likes of the NME or mm. Q or something like that one or Kerrang even like for the more kind of pop punk stuff for angsty teens like me. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I wonder how you feel like you're right. Has that affected your writing? The way that you consume music and the fact that maybe like something had been there longer, or it was a physical thing. And now this is just like, you can just pick anything. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Like, growing up and like finding music whether it was from like listening to uh tom dunn's old music show on today fm pet sounds i think it was called mm-hmm. like i used to have my radio beside my desk and i'd have a tape in the my stereo and i'd record songs all the time that i really liked and i'd listen out for like if he was going to play a song that i knew i liked and be like all right i have to be on it like to record this and that was how like i had that those songs are like um, be, watching MTV or, and like seeing music videos and kind of then like watching MTV just to try and hear the song again. Mm, yeah. Um, and I think like your relationship with those songs just goes so much deeper as well. And like even like something like having a Walkman going to yeah. school on like your bus and you had to just pick like three albums or like three CDs or three tapes, whatever you had um, to listen to. And you just became really really familiar with them because it was kind of all you had access to um whereas now like I'll listen to albums that have come out by new bands and I really like them but like I won't have that same like diehard kind of connection to them even to the point of like I'll listen to an album loads like loads and loads but I'll never maybe know like the names of the songs because when I'm listening to them, it's either like on Spotify or on a streaming service um, and it like either my laptop will be one side of the room and or my phone will be in my pocket mm. and I just won't have the name of the song like in yeah, front of me. Yeah, it's just because it's so, it's almost like... It's just there, like yeah, it's yeah. A disposable. Thing, yeah, I think now because like you spoke about like the Walkman. For me, I remember I had an iPod, and you were limited because like I had no internet until like my kind of early to mid teens, yeah. and I was limited to whatever I could find in the house to yeah. put onto iTunes to put onto my iPod because like yeah. there was no way I was ever going to be able to download anything. Downloading <laughs> was like, what was that? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No one had a clue what that was. Mm. So that to me, I feel like, yeah, I feel like there's a lot of those moments and like that like point in time where there was like whatever was in your house. It didn't even matter what it was. Yeah. Like I had, I had a million and one different things in there. Like I had Fallout Boy to Shade to... 
like love it. it to fucking Justin Timberlake to like going and like borrow my uncle's CDs and stuff to put on like my iPod just to like have something there to listen to. Yeah. But then you'd find something. Yeah. And it would be like just the most amazing thing, you know. Yeah. Um so yeah, I I I get what you mean in terms of like how there's a fondness when you yeah. look back on those things and maybe I I think that it like the the immediacy of now um and I could be wrong but I would think that it's probably of benefit to journalists. Yeah, for sure. In terms yeah. Of like how you can I think they like having such a vast array of music out there and like I think that it you you can be a bit more diverse I guess in what you're Yeah. you know you're writing about and what you're kind of giving a critical reception or not, you know. Mm. Um I find that to be an interesting dynamic maybe and yeah. the change of which so like between the blog and now mm. what do you think is like what do you think is the biggest change in your writing? I so even to I suppose refine it a bit more like what's what's the through line? Like what's been the most enjoyable part of it that has like stayed from a to like from point A to point B and that being now, you know? Um I suppose the the common kind of thing that I've always loved from the start to now is just getting stuck into an album and getting the story of an album. Um like a click in just immediately kind of thing. Yeah. Um and always just kind of hearing someone's perspective on something and I love as well and I guess like kind of what we were saying earlier or just a minute ago like the accessibility and the immediacy of like having so much music available to you now like to be able to just really easily if you're reviewing an album by someone who's maybe had five or six albums like the easiness of like being able to in one place and in one spot like listen to everything from start to finish that's always kind of been something I've really enjoyed and is only kind of improving and getting faster mm. as I kind of go, go on. I think uh, I'll stop melting your brain. Now. No, 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 no. <laughs> but no, thank you so much for coming in. There's a lot of insight there that certainly I didn't have before. Um, I hope that the people listening to the pod get a bit more of an insight into what it's like. Mm. Um, but I, yeah, I took an awful lot from that, and well, I think it will like. I certainly think it's going to impact the way I listen to music and consume it. Mm. So thanks for no. taking the time no. as a friend of the show to be no, part, of and I think, part of the show. I think if like anyone has any interest in doing like music journalism, like it's, it is an accessible thing to get into. Like, and especially now, especially with just like having, especially like social media, like just send someone a DM, like send a writer that you admire a DM and, be like do you know how I can where to go with this how do I get into it and like nine times out of ten you will find that the people who are doing this job are more than happy to like support someone who wants to do it um because it's a really fun job yeah I think the last thing anyone would want to see is to see the art of the critic die you know and, yeah you know to pass it on like that is yeah an incredibly generous thing so thanks for mentioning that and uh, before we sign off where can people find your 
find your pieces? Um, so I'm on Twitter. I'm at Zara underscore Hedman and I usually do stuff for like the quietest, loud and quiet, totally Dublin, um, Aquarium Junkard, a few other places. It's all few, there. A few other places. A few other all bits. The, all the big ones. All the bits. No encore as well. I suppose <laughs> I'd be killed if I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, we're, we're, we'll save your life and we'll, uh, we'll leave you. it there so you don't, uh, <laughs> you know, get yourself cancelled. Yeah, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Darren. No worries. Thanks so much, Adam. Thanks so much to Zara for coming in and sitting down with me and uh, it was there's a lot of <laughs> things maybe I poked at there that um, were a bit you know <laughs> crazily philosophical or whatever but um, I'm glad I got stuck into it I'm glad like we really you know flipped through the pages on that um, no pun intended you know but I'm very very glad that Zara um, spent the time and you know really um, I suppose poured her heart out into the microphone and uh, I certainly felt the passion in the room on the day I re- like it was it's great like this is so good for me because I get to speak to people who may not necessarily have had that platform to speak to other people before um, openly about their work and what they do so I, f- I found that anytime I have I'm like people are really you know letting me in and to a degree that maybe I didn't necessarily think when I started started doing this pod and with the ideas like you know with the idea of it in my head I certainly wasn't expecting such um openness and um you know really like allowing like lifting the curtain in a huge way to everyone everyone's kind of um everyone's way of life and you know how they do what they do why they do what they do and Zara was no exception. So thank you again, Zara. No doubt you're going to hear her on the show again very soon. Um, she's never fair. So yeah, I'm really, really glad that we got to sit down. And um, <laughs> I think that uh, she'll be really glad to rub in Dave's face that she got her own episode as well. <laughs> because of their, they have such a wonderfully, un- wonderfully unique relationship, should I say. And uh, yeah, I feel like I may have added fuel to the fire in certain ways there, but who, who, who knows? Um, just to let you know what Zara's song selections were there, um, and they were a lovely touch, particularly that end piece with the uh, with Dan Behar, one of Zara's favourites, just calling out the names of like a load of publications. <laughs> so aptly fitting um, from Zara there. But in order, the songs you heard were Kate LeBond's Home to You, O Emperor's Girl, Clinics, Distortions and Destroyers, Kaput. That's K-A-P-U-T-T. And like I said, that one at the end there. Having all the little nods to Enemy, Melody Maker, the whole lot. Um, Very nice touch. Before the Encore, I'll be back again at the last Monday of next month. It's the last Monday of every month before the Encore lands in your feeds. So please, like I said, make sure to hit subscribe, hit follow, uh, rate the podcast where you can, please. It makes such a difference. Um, It really does. And tell your pals, uh, if you enjoyed this, just... You know, send them a link. Help us out in any way that you can. We really, really appreciate it. And um, on that note, we are also on Patreon at patreon.com 
slash no encore. Um, our patrons really are the lifeblood of the show and the listeners that really are the lifeblood of the show because it, by supporting us financially, you're allowing us to keep um, up to date with the best recording methods. You're allowing us to give the podcast the fidelity that it has and you're allowing the podcast to grow. So thank you so, so much to anyone who has already subscribed to the Patreon and anyone who hasn't yet, please consider it. Um, we ask for five euros a month. It's not a whole lot. Um, I know that people are back to work and, you know, the commutes and stuff are back now. But um, if you can spare it, please, please do. We would be so grateful. Um, but regardless, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for supporting us on Patreon. If you do support us on Patreon, um, and I'm going to sign off there because you've heard me talk enough for another month. I think that's, yeah, that's all you need. <laughs> so I've been Sonic Architect, Adam. This has been Before the Encore. There will be no Encore. And I'll be back next month. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.